0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com.
1: Again, we're in Acts chapter 18 and 24 all the way to 19 and 20. And yes, we're going to read that through. So if you could stand with me, we're going to read through that and then we're going to dive in.
0: Acts chapter 18, verses 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. Ephesus. <clears throat> he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he n- knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus.
1: And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There was about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord,
2: both Jews and Greeks. Verse eleven, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jews, exor- Jewish exorcists, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord.
1: Father God, I pray that you would take the truth of your word, that you are planted firmly and deeply into the depths of our heart, that you will cause them to bear fruit and blossom. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So let me explain to you how we are going to to get at this. We're going to, to go this in a particular direction. Now, a lot of time when you're reading scripture, you have to keep in mind that, oftentimes you see the real heart in the context of the scripture when you read the surrounding verses. So sometimes you see sort of like these sandwiches that are are happening where you see something happening on the outside here, something happening on the outside there where by themselves separated, they look one way, but then when you Put it in context of what's happening inside the middle, it gives you bigger picture and context of what's really going on. It's like a literary sandwich where you have the bread, you have the meat and you have the bread, but the thing that's happening inside the middle gives context to the things that are happening on the outside. So what we're going to do today is we're going to... Look at it from that perspective. We're going to tackle the two outside pieces first, and then we're going to come back and we're going to dive into the middle piece to look at how this whole thing looked contextually all together. So my brother Jenga, he's going to cover 18 18 and 24 through 28. He's going to take the time to walk through that. After that, then Dana, she's going to cover 19 and 11 through 20. She's going to walk through that. And then I'm going to come back. We're going to skip the middle. I'm going to come back, and now I'm going to cover the middle part, which is 19 verses 1 through 10. And then we're going to spend some very intentional time in prayer and communion. So I pray that you ask God to just show you the truth as we as we dive in. Walk through it with us and just bear with us as we we jump around, but it's for a very intentional reason. That being said, um, Brother Jenga, set us off.
0: Hey, that's my wife, (laughs) again. (laughs) Um, So here uh, in verses 24, um, we are introduced to a man called Apollos, and it's in between all. It's just just about when Paul's dad missionary journey is about to begin, like we see Paul uh, leaving Ephesus, uh, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila, and he goes to Antioch. Um, so there's a lot of movement that we see in the Book of Acts Uh, because God wanted them to be on the move. You go back to Acts 1a, we see, and the Holy Spirit, and and you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and all the earth. And I like this, because I'm from Kenya, and I live in Phoenix now, and um, I'm passionate about mission. I want to see God's, I mean, I want to see the gospel spread all over the world. and so the disciples or the apostles, uh, they had this in their backdrop. Like they, they could hear the words of Jesus, go and make me known to the people that don't know me. Um, but here we, we find this Jew, Apollos, uh, a native of Alexandria. And he moves from Alexandria and comes to Ephesus when Paul just leaves to go to Antioch. Um, And just like Paul, he begins by going to the temple, and he's explaining uh, the the, the teachings of Jesus to to the Jews uh, in in Ephesus. Uh, But interesting, I think I like this guy. Like, any any preacher, I think, would love Apollos. Why? Like, this guy was very eloquent. Like, who doesn't want to be eloquent in their speech? I want to be eloquent. I want to. I mean, he's a kind of guy that you would just sit down and listen, and you want to hear more. You don't want him to stop. Um, but but also, he was competent in the scriptures, uh, and the scriptures here it refers to the Old Testament. That's what he knew. He was a Jew. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Like go back to the Old Testament. Like that was God's command to to the to the Israelites. Teach this. Words to your children and your children. Um, so this guy, I think he had been instructed by his parents, uh, but also he came from Alexandria, uh, a city that was known of uh, scholars. It's probably maybe you know a college town. Um, maybe it makes me think of Tempe, where there's ASU, or in GCU where I work, where there are all these you know scholars uh, trying to to know and. Uh, so he was knowledgeable. Uh. But the other thing that is unique with Apollos was he was fervent in spirit and he taught accurately whatever he knew. It makes me wonder uh, are you passionate about the gospel? Uh, are you passionate about teaching the things that you know? You know, sometimes I feel like we kind of step aside and like, man, I'll wait till I know. A, B, C, D, so that I can share. At times, we don't feel confident about what we know about the gospel. But look at this dude. He didn't know everything. Like, he only knew up to the baptism of John. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't think the power of the, the power that we saw in Acts 1-8 was upon him. But, I mean, he had heard about Jesus probably. Some people say he had the message through some of the disciples of Stephen. Uh, but he's not afraid to talk about what he knows. Are we confident? Are we passionate uh, to tell people uh, about the gospel? Is the gospel guiding us in our day-to-day living? You see, we are supposed to be on mission. We are on a mission. We are commanded. These words of Jesus, they still apply to us as a church. Where is your Jerusalem? Are you faithful there? Where is your Judea? Where is your Samaria? And to all the odds. And then in verse 26, we see he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Don't wait to be perfect, you know. God will provide the right people if you're not if you if you're not up to the standard, you know? Like don't be afraid to share the gospel with people. Uh, God provides for Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila. You know, and I feel we need more people who are mature in the faith to instruct some of us who are probably not very mature. We don't know much. Um, is there something that you're not confident about the gospel? You can you can approach somebody here who probably knows more than you know, because uh, we're supposed to do this as a community. Uh, but I like the way Priscilla and Aquila did this. They don't they don't stand up and shout and like, oh, you're such a heretic! What are you preaching? You don't even know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I feel we do this a lot today. Like, we shout to people. We, I use social media. Like, I'm always out there. And, like, I'll call people out. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty of that. But when I was reading this, I was convicted. Like, can I be like Priscilla and Aquila when I see people Maybe it's a member of this congregation that they are not living according to the gospel. Can I approach them? Can I be courageous enough to go to them and instruct them? So we need people who are teachable uh, for the sake of the gospel. And we need people who are courageous enough to go and teach others and instruct them in the ways of the Lord. Um, So they explained to him and he taught the word of God more accurately. Um, And we'll see more what that means when Wayne picks up uh, this text. Uh, In verse 27, we see, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. You see, the thing here is the church was to be witnesses uh, of Jesus Christ. The Jew knew about, they knew about the Messiah. A Messiah was coming, but some of them didn't really understand who that was. And that's why the strategy they use is by going to the synagogues. I mean, and it's what Jesus told them. Go first to to the Jews and make them hear the gospel first and know that I am Christ. I'm the one. Uh, So, we see Apollos was also willing to go. He was willing to go to other places where he knew that there were people who hadn't had the gospel. He wanted to go. He was willing to go. And what he does, he was also willing to encourage other believers. He goes to those who by grace had believed. Mm -hmm. By grace, because salvation is by grace alone through Jesus Christ. And he encourages. We need people who can encourage other believers. Are you an encourager to others in the faith? Um, but also, he defended the gospel. Are you willing to defend the gospel? Not in a cocky way, but in a, you know, in a humble way, because uh, you want people to understand uh, um, who Jesus Christ is. So church, we're called to be missional. And as we do the mission, as we do God's work, Uh, In your Jerusalem, in your Judea, in your Somalia, and anywhere else God sends you, are you going to be passionate for the gospel? Are you going to be teachable, or are you going to be willing to go wherever God wants you to go?
2: Thank you. I feel like that's rude. Like, he was really good the first service, and I got all convicted, and then he... Just made it harder on the second service. I got more convicted. I, I got more convicted. I, I told. I in the first service, I said, "I feel like we should just pray and go home." And now I mean it. Like I really feel like we're done here. <laughs> and then I after the first service, I had I, I had a couple of people come and say, "Hey, you looked really nervous because I'm jittery," which is fine. And um, but I feel like I'm sitting by them. A. <laughs> B I'm jittery and then see I'm used to kids and youth, so I get a little hyper just you know, and then I got convicted, so that's not a good start. I came to I came to teach and I got all taught and junk. So <laughs> I hope you were taking notes. Um so I, I get to skip ahead a little bit and go on to verse uh eleven and I can only uh teach the way I teach and I, I like to teach by going verse by verse and just Kind of sharing with you what I've learned. And when we were going over um, which sections we wanted to do, I, we were real silent when Wayne said, okay, which section do you want to do? And, and Jing and I were both like... <laughs> and then finally, I was like, all right, I should do this one. Not because it's my favorite, but because this section in particular kind of irritates me a little bit. And uh, it's one that I would try to avoid if I could... Like, that's potentially the one that doesn't make sense to me. And if this topic came up among people, it'd be the topic that I'd go, you should go talk to Aaron about that because I don't know how to handle it. So then as the silence drew, finally I said, I should probably do this section because I need to really study this out and find out what's going on and, and why why the Lord is doing it this way and why it, why it irritates me. So um, I'm going to take you through verse by verse and see how the Lord – um, he works in these really cool ways, amazing ways, and how the Lord just convicted me and changed my heart in this. But I'm going to start with verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now, um, Paul, like we had just read in the verses before, had been in Asia for over two years um, serving sharing the gospel, working. He was in relationship. He was in community. He had been there for two years. So he was constantly sharing the gospel. Well, if, if you've been in, in any kind of charismatic church, you, you've seen how handkerchiefs and this kind of thing have looked. And I grew up in kind of a very charismatic kind of church. And so there were things about this that I saw that didn't make sense to me. So when I would read these, this, these verses or things like this, it would it didn't make sense because I would just, I love God, I trust God, but how are handkerchiefs and aprons super confusing? So when I started to study out and see what Paul was doing, Paul was doing exactly what God had called him to do, and he was doing exactly what, what Jesus had told him to do. Because if you look back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And he called to his, his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. So he was literally living out the gospel. He's sharing the gospel. He's living out the gospel. He understood the authority that he was given, and he was doing it. He was just doing what God had called him to do. And these amazing miracles were happening. And it's crazy, too, because if you remember, Jesus had had the woman that had come and touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed, just touching the hem of his garment, and a miracle happened. And she knew that that he had had power and he had authority to heal. And if she just touched his garment— that that was enough. Well, these people knew that Paul didn't have power and authority, but that he was walking in the power and the authority of God. And if they could just get that and take that home, that there would be healing. They weren't giving glory to Paul, but they understood the power and the authority that he was walking in because he was doing what Jesus had told him to do. And Jesus had said, you're going to do greater things than I did. And I I started looking at the details like, why aprons and handkerchiefs? Like, why didn't he just go see all these people? Or what's, I don't know, because I've seen it misused. And so I kind of looked into that, and, you know, some scholars say, well, he was, he was a worker. He lived there. He worked there. And it could have been his apron. And somebody just said, hey, give me your apron. Could have been his handkerchief. Somebody just said, give me your handkerchief. None of that honestly matters. Because at this point, the people understood and saw that the authority that had been given to him, he was just walking in the authority that had been given to him. He was preaching the gospel. He was sharing Jesus. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, and miracles were happening, and people wanted to see the power of God move and heal, and and evil spirits be cast out, and that was it. It wasn't about Paul, and it wasn't about the handkerchiefs, and it wasn't about anything. It was this beautiful thing that was happening where God's power and authority was being seen, and miracles were happening, and so all of a sudden, the material didn't matter. Paul didn't matter as much because God was being seen and his love was being shown in this community and it was this powerful thing okay so I was I was digging that because I was like okay I like that I like I love that Because it all makes sense now. It was Paul doing exactly what he was called to do and the the authority that he was given to do. Okay, so now I want to read on. Now it makes sense to me. So I go on to verse um, 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord, Jesus, over those who had evil spirits. Okay, just because I work with children, the word itinerant, which I didn't know, just means from going place to place. Some of you are looking at me like, of course that is, but some of you didn't know, so you're welcome. I had to look it up. It makes sense, though, after I looked it up and I felt sick. I was like, oh, itinerary, itinerary. Okay. So that was important, though, because I was reading with them, and they're, like, just going past like it's nothing, and I was on my phone going, <laughs> um, but you're welcome. So it was these... Jewish exorcists. Now, these are like godly people, right? These are the religious people that are just going from place to place, and they're doing these exorcists. They're casting demons out of things, and they're doing these tricks, these quick, we're in town, we're out of town, we're going to do tricks. And they see what Paul's doing, they're like, hey, we're going to capitalize on this. What we'll do is we're going to head over to these people that have this dude that has a demon, and we're going to cast it out. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to say <laughs> This is one of my favorite parts. This is one of my favorite parts. Cuz you got to know that the Bible has some of the best comedy. Seriously some of the best comedy. This is probably why I got this part. Okay. Listen to what what <laughs> what they say. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. <laughs> so I adjure you by the It's like a it's like he's so sweet. They're so, hey, hey, evil spirit, would you mind coming out? And we're asking you, if you wouldn't mind doing it, because Paul, who knows Jesus, um, we're just asking you because we know them, basically is literally what he's saying. Could you kindly, adjure, adjure, like that's, so you go a couple chapters back, I think it's chapter 16 and Paul had this young girl that's following him around who was um, a seer. So she's following him around. He gets annoyed by her following him around and turns around and says, I command you, evil spirit, to get out of her. He commands because he knows the authority that was given to him by Jesus, by his father. So he knows because of relationship with Jesus and his father that he has authority and there's power in that authority to tell that evil spirit to get out. He doesn't adjure it, he doesn't say, Oh, please come and get out. He says, I command you, because I know my father, that you can't be in her get out. She's annoying me. Literally, is what in 16, you can look at it. So here's the thing. It's the same thing that if I tell Kairos, hey, you go tell your brother and sister to stop fighting right now. He know they know. That if Cyrus walks in, because he'll he'll take my word and he'll use it, he'll go in and say, Mom said that you better, and then it better happen. Because if it doesn't happen and I have to show up, they're in really big trouble. But there's some authority whenever one of your kids walks in and with their words comes, Mom said, Dad said. It's the same thing here. Paul understood the authority that had been given to him, and he was walking in it. These guys. They didn't have any authority. So listen to it. Again, it's comedy because watch what this is so. This is because this This is where I think God's funny. Verse 14. He throws this in there. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. It's like he tattles on him. He's like, guys, get this. There were seven of them. He's like setting up the, the scene for us. He's like, there's one guy that's got an evil spirit. And then there's seven, there's seven Jewish guys. It's like a bad job. so there's (laughs) okay so we'll just keep going because that could get listen to what happens though so you have that in your head right seven Jewish guys one guy with an evil spirit okay and then the man oh wait no, no wait sorry sorry but the evil spirit answered them Jesus I know Paul, I recognize, because he's been around here for the last couple of years doing this crazy business, casting out our friends. I know Paul. I recognize him. And we know Jesus because he's scary. Who are you? No authority. You don't even really know Paul. You sure don't know Jesus. Who are you? Now, listen to this. And Seriously, look in your Bibles. And the man in whom was the evil spirit, one man, leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Some versions say with broken heads. Naked with broken heads. This thing tore them up. One man, seven Jewish guys, got tore up. Hurt them, humiliated them. Here's why. You will not mock God. You will show up and try to act like you have something, like your authority and your desire for something is greater than God's authority, but God will not be mocked. Not only will he not be mocked, but he'll take your little game and he'll use it for his glory. Because look what happened. This is where the community gets Because God doesn't just take care of one person. He cares for the community. And the community is going to get cared for big now because watch this. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came. Okay, the believers came. Listen to this. Confessing and divulging their practices. So you have all the Christian folks who are loving Jesus, who hear about this that happened. And they're blown away by the power of their Savior. And not only that, but they're like, I got some junk that I got to get rid of. Because I got the fear of the Lord. And I don't want anything to separate me from how great he is. And I want more of him. So there wasn't an altar call. It's not like this happened, and then Paul was like, all right, guys, how many of you need Jesus now? None of that even had to happen because God's power was so great that people just came and said, I got to get rid of some stuff. I got to take care of this. That's the real miracles. Those are the miracles that need to be happening. We look for all the surface miracles that we're praying for when the reality is we need to be praying, God, God, I need to repent. That's the miracle. My heart change is the miracle. And listen to this, it keeps going. And a number of those who had practiced these aren't necessarily the Christians anymore. This is everybody who had practiced magic arts, brought their books together. Now in those times people would, if they were sick, if they were struggling with money, if they had anything like that, they understood the spiritual realm better than us as Americans do. And they would go to some kind of spiritual something to get an answer whether that was a spell, whether it was uh, something, a thing, they would get something, a book, something that would try to in this, find a spirit that would deal with their issue. So what happened was all of a sudden all those people brought their books and their arts and their things that represented any other spirit besides the Holy One, any other spirit. So this is not just our Christian brothers and sisters. This is anybody. There was a recogni- a, recog- a recognizing of who Jesus was and his power and everything else had to be gotten rid of in that community. We don't want anything else because we see, we see the real power. Listen to what happened though. They burned them in the sight of all. They didn't just sell them and make money. They didn't just get rid of them. They burned it so that nobody else could be part of this. And they counted the value of them and found it Came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So it wasn't just a matter of like they profited off of it. They understood like this is costing us. This is the sacrifice that we're making to have the holiness of that spirit. We don't want these spirits and we will sacrifice to have that spirit. Then God kept going because he wasn't done the last line, so the word of the Lord continued to increase. How could it not? And prevail mightily. So there's something powerful when we're willing to look past what we think we understand of God's power. To lay down our sin, our flesh, and just say, God, I want to know your spirit, your power, who you are, because I want that. And it by this you'll see communities change you'll see lives change because there's there's no other thing or spirit that comes close to it and you saw lives changed
1: man that's good (laughs) Mm. love it love it I'm, i'm loving how this whole thing is flowing together so let me um now, bring this piece that we, we, we skipped over and stuff but I, that, that I think, like, bridges these two things that are happening because you see these two spectrums. You see on one side with Apollos, and, and, and he was very knowledgeable of Scripture, you know, and then you see on the other side with the sons of Sceva where they're like, man, how did we get the power, right? So I'm going to read 19 verses 1 through, through 10 and, and, and start in. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you, was, when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said unto them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with them, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So the part that Dana jumps in on is like, this is what's happening after these two years. So that's why the demons are like, all right, Paul, I recognize him. Because he'd been here for two years on wreck and shop, right? But I wanted to go back and look at this thing that happens here when Paul encounters these disciples here in, in Ephesus. Because I think there's something that God is, is, is showing us inside this part right here. So <clears throat> you get right here, and, and, and the people that Paul encounters... He calls them believers, but it's important to understand the people that, that Paul encountered here were disciples of John the Baptist, right? So the question is, all right, if they were disciples of John the Baptist, why did Paul, Paul consider them believers? Well, and we know he did consider them believers because he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So he considered them believers. So John the Baptist Entire ministry was a transitional ministry. Everything was about John the Baptist was bridging two ages. It was like, okay, all this time the Jews have heard about this, the time when 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 this promised king will come, this messiah will come, and this and this kingdom will come. And they've been looking forward to this time. And they like they've grown up inside of this, like hearing stories about it. And, and it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And John's entire ministry was to say, hey, listen, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, 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 it's right here. This kingdom we've been waiting for, we've been waiting for it. It's right here. It's right here at hand. It's sort of like, like your whole life. You've been told as a kid that one day we're gonna go to Disneyland. We're gonna go to Disneyland one day, and you're looking for one day you're gonna go to this 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 place that you you so wish you could be at. And then one day your parents are like, "Okay, they're on their way to pick us up. They're on their way to take us to Disneyland. They're on their way to pick us up." And so, what you start doing like, "Oh, for real? They're on the way." You start getting ready. You start getting ready for your ride to come pick you up. Now, this is what John's ministry was. Get ready to ride Is on a way to pick us up. That ride is Jesus, and he's coming in, and he's going to come, and he's going to usher in the kingdom of God. So he spent his time getting the people ready for what's about to happen next, and then the ride gets here. Jesus is, is, is getting baptized, and when he gets baptized, John tells everybody, this is the guy I've been talking about. It's that dude. It's him right here. And he's let everybody knows about this. So everyone that was following John and believed in John and was able to affirm what John was saying, now John is like he's passing them all on to Jesus. This is that guy right here. I'm going to fade back. Because I don't want to take no glory away from him. And John fades into the background because he wants everyone that was trekking with him to now trek with Jesus. So some of the disciples are like, okay, that's the dude? Yeah, okay, we're going with him. right?" And all of his disciples understood Jesus was the guy that John was talking about, that John was prepping them for. Now, when Jesus starts his ministry, he's affirmed by John in front of everybody, In front of everybody. And and we start this text off and we're looking at, first of all, we're looking here where Paul encounters these disciples here in Ephesus. And we started the text off talking about Apollos. Both Apollos and these disciples that Paul encounters here in Ephesus were disciples of John the Baptist right? That's where where their camp was from. That's where they came from. And and they even said earlier when Jenga was talking in 18 and 25 that Apollos, even though he only knew the baptism of John, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. But yet still, Paul makes this this issue or he he raises these questions concerning um, baptisms. And it begs us to start thinking what is the difference between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. Now, John himself knows that this is going to be something to be talked about. So John explains the difference between their two baptisms. Back in Matthew 3 and 11, he says, Well, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Paul reiterates the same thing when he's talking to these disciples here. Okay, everything that John was talking about was pointing to Jesus. So you have these two baptisms. You have John's baptism and Jesus' baptisms. And there's three primary differences inside these two baptisms that are important for us to to understand. One is what they are baptizing with or in. The other is what is the purpose of each of these baptisms? And the third one is, who's doing the baptisms, right? So these things are important. So starting with the first one, what are they being baptized with or in? Now, John, he baptized with water. You see us do that at time when we have baptism services and stuff, and we're baptizing with water. Jesus, John, let us know ahead of time, Jesus baptized with the Holy Spirit. Represented by fire. Two, what are these baptisms for? What are the purpose of these baptisms? Now, this water baptism, John explained it, and so did... um, Paul, now this water baptism, it, it, it was for repentance. They, be, they was being baptized into repentance, a life of repentance, a knowledge and understanding of their, their depravity and their need to repent. So their, John's baptism was a baptism of water, and the purpose of it was for repentance and preparation for what's to come. Repentance and preparation for receiving this, this king and his kingdom. That's what John's baptism was for. Now, in 1904, Paul said John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That was Jesus. Now, this guy comes after him, Jesus, and, and John said he would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, what's the purpose of this baptism of the Holy Spirit now? According to Jesus himself in Acts 1 and 8 and in Luke 24 and 29, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was to give power to live as residents of, of, of this kingdom, give power to live as, 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 as the king's servants, give power to be witnesses of his kingdom through how we lived, and that was the purpose of this, this baptism. So Paul comes in and he asked the question, what was you, was you, did you receive the Spirit when you was baptized? Now, what did Paul mean by this? He wasn't asking, like, he's not trying to insinuate, unless you had the baptism, then you didn't have the Holy Spirit. That's not what's going on here, because the Holy Spirit is already at work in the life of a believer way before they even become a believer, right? The Holy Spirit is already channeling things and leading things in certain directions. As a matter of fact, you need the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to the reality of your depravity, to the reality of your sins. You need the Holy Spirit to turn your heart to want to receive Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is already at work. Paul is specifically talking about a baptism inside the Holy Spirit. And you know that because when he asked them and they said, well, we ain't never heard of it, he's like, then what was you baptized into? So you know that he's specifically talking about a baptism. Now, Let's look into who does these baptisms, right? So you have John, and he does this baptism in water. Now, John's baptism in water, John wasn't the only person that did this baptism in water. You also have the disciples, they baptize people in water. You have other believers that baptize people in water. We baptize people in water. But what you never see inside the Bible is Jesus baptizing somebody in water. It was always his disciples that did it. Why? Because Jesus didn't baptize with the water. He baptized with the Spirit, right? Now, this is important. When, when, we, think, when we say, who does the baptizing? Now, we baptize in water, right? Us as believers, we'll baptize one another in affirming that repentance, affirming that acknowledgement of God and stuff. But it's Jesus that baptizes in the power of his Spirit. Jesus is the one that does that, and he does it whenever he wants to do it, however he wants to do it. We try to systemize it. You got to do this, you got to do that, and then, uh, and then you, you tarry for mad long hours, and you can't systemize it. If one thing that we've learned here inside this text, God does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. Jesus decides that I'm going to baptize this person inside my spirit and give him the supernatural power to live a life set apart for him. And it's us to to pursue this and say, Lord, this is what I want. This is what I want. I'm looking for you. And you see similarities in both of these baptisms. like in, In John's baptism and both Jesus' baptism, there's this thing where there's this dying to self this thing about being humbled and submitted to the authority of the one doing the baptizing, that like every time you see this happening, you're trusting that one that's going to dump you inside of the water or those that are being baptized by the Spirit of God. They're, they're trusting the present of the Spirit of God to do what they want to do. And how this looks, when you talk about being baptized inside the Spirit, how this looks looks many different ways. It's not just you're going to talk in tongues or not just you're going to prophesy. Sometimes you're being baptized inside the Spirit where you just have these overwhelming tears that just won't stop and the Lord is doing something. Or or you have this overwhelming sense of joy and you just can't stop worshiping. I just got to worship God right now and the Lord is, is doing something. The baptism of the Spirit looks so different in so many different ways and we try to figure them out. But one thing we learn, we can't Figure him, his, him out. He is infinite and we are finite. And we got to remember this over and over again. But here's what's important to us. Us right here, right now. In Philippians 3 and 10, Paul says that he wants to know him. That's the baptism of John. You know that you need repentance. You know that you need God. You know when you affirm these things, he said, I want to know him and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want both and. I want to know him and I want to know the power power of his resurrection. One baptism baptizes you into a lifestyle of repentance and it impacts how you think. The other gives you the power to not live a life defeated and enslaved by sin, but instead displays the powerful freedom of the kingdom of God free from the bondage of sin. God wants us to decide to desire both, both and. Like some churches, they'll lean more towards Apollos and, 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 and they can teach Jesus accurately, but, but but you don't sense this, that they know the baptism of, of the Spirit. Like they know the baptism of repentance and they can talk about it all up and down, inside and out, but but struggle regarding the power of the spirit. Some churches lean more towards the son of Sceva where they desire the power of the Spirit without truly knowing and having a personal relationship with Jesus himself. But God calls us, he says, it's both end. In 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 through 5 Paul is talking to Timothy, and he's trying to talk to Timothy about the church. And he says, But understand this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless. Unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He's talking about the church mm-hmm. having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What's that power wow. to res- resist those things that was just listed, wow. right? So outside, like these two things separated, is it, is it a, an appearance of godliness? Root word, appearance. is isn't true godliness unless these two things are walking hand in hand. Today, as we get ready to close out, I want us to, to spend some time praying, right? We're just going to have some time. We just want to just... Just pray and just seek God's face, right? Some of us will break up into groups. Some of us, like, man, you need to pray by yourself, right? Some of us need to spend some time just repenting, like, man, repenting for sinness out of my own life. Some of us need to actually spend some time repenting for intentionally not asking God to give me the power to live right, because really, I actually enjoy some of the things that I do, Right? some of us actually need to repent for that but some of us need to spend some time seeking after God and saying Lord I I submit myself to you and I want to humble myself to you I want your power to live right please fill me with your spirit baptize me deeply inside your spirit